This is Quotations, a podcast about words, written and spoken throughout history. If you can fill the unforgiving minute with 60 seconds worth of distance run, we shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. No matter where you're from, your dreams are valid. The Pale Blue Dot, the only home we've ever known. Hello and welcome to Quotations. I'm Matthew Monroe. Here's today's quote. Quote, Men go back to the mountains as they go back to sailing ships at sea, because in the mountains and on the sea they must face up, as did men of another age, to the challenges of nature. Modern man lives in a highly synthetic kind of existence. He specializes in this and that. Rarely does he test all his powers or find himself whole. But in the hills and on the water, the character of a man comes out. End quote. And this quote has a somewhat mysterious origin, a little bit difficult to identify. I've seen it attributed to John Muir and Henry David Thoreau, but I believe this quote originated with Abram Collier. And Abram Collier is not somebody you would normally associate with the outdoors. Um, Abraham Collier was born October 26th, 1913, and died November 20th, 2008. He graduated from Harvard in 1934, Harvard Law in 1937, and participated in the Advanced Management Program in 1951. He eventually became the CEO of New England Mutual Life for 12 years between 1966 and 1978. And an interesting note about Abram Collier is that at the age of 75, having a sick grandson who needed a kidney transplant, he actually donated his own kidney to his grandson in what can only be described as a true act of selflessness, especially considering that at his advanced age, he was certainly at risk of severe complications or even a shortened lifespan as a result of his generosity. But as you can see by the number of years that he ended up living, this was not actually a, a significant problem for him. He, he lived to the ripe old age of 95. So as I mentioned before, this quote was particularly difficult to research. And despite my best efforts, I simply cannot find a source document for this quote. You can find this quote, as you can find many quotes, on a colorful background with stars and the mountains and things like that. And it's attributed to Abram Collier or Henry David Thoreau or John Muir. But I cannot find a source document for any of the three of those that would indicate that this is theirs and theirs alone. Now, the abbreviated quote that you sometimes see, this one gets attributed to Thoreau, ends at the point where the quote says, they must face up. And then it just kind of stops. Of course, we've talked about a Henry David Thoreau quote before on this podcast, and it would make a certain amount of sense if this quote did belong to him because he is an outdoorsman. He spent a lot of time on Walden Pond and spent a lot of time in the outdoors. So a quote like this sounds like a Thoreau quote, which is potentially why we see it attributed to him. Most people don't put the time and energy to determine the provenance of a quote. And so when something like this comes up, the first Google search result that yields a name becomes the norm and it gets copied and propagated throughout the internet on blogs and things like that. And the next thing you know, it might as well be that person's original quote. But as we've seen before and we've talked about in the past, that's not always the case. And I believe that's what's going on here is while this makes sense as a Thoreau quote or as a mirror quote, I don't think it's theirs. Now, the longer quote is attributed to Collier. Well, why? 
Collier, as you heard from his description, was the CEO of a life insurance company. And I can't find any reference to him being a hiker or a sailor. So why would he say this? Why would this be his and why am I reasonably convinced that it is, in fact, his quote? I actually think, honestly, dear listener, that it is a combination potentially of the two. That Collier heard this quote or read this quote somewhere in a source that I just simply can't find from somebody like Henry David Thoreau or John Muir that did end, in fact, at a man must face up to the mountains and the seas, as it were. And then he added to it with the the balance of the quote. Now, I could be way off base, and certainly, listener, I'm not above being corrected. So if you know the original provenance of this particular quote, I would love to hear it. But of course, that begs the question, as it always does, who cares? And of course, as I usually answer, I care, and you care, which is precisely why you're listening to this, and precisely for the reasons that I've already listed. Because depending on who said it, it's interesting for very different reasons, right? This is either an outdoorsman, if it's Thoreau or Muir, dropping outdoorsy wisdom, or this is a businessman who is recognizing the value of the outdoors, right? We're talking about somebody who has achieved the highest levels of his profession. He is the CEO of a business with a business degree, an advanced business degree, and he's at the top of his profession. So why would he make reference to the mountains and the seas? Well, because I think there's a there's a basic human recognition that in the most extreme versions of the outdoors is where we are most tested. And if it is a mirror or a thorough quote, then it's perfectly fine. It's a good quote. It goes in the massive list of wonderful quotes from both of those men. And regardless of its origins, the words are profound. So I'm going to read the words one more time for you so that you can hear them for yourselves. And again, imagine this, try to imagine it two different ways. The quote is long enough that you can listen to part of it and imagine it one way, and you can listen to the second half of it another way. The first way, I'd like you to imagine that this is a businessman recognizing the value of the outdoors and the excitement that lies therein and the test of a man that lies therein. And then maybe in the second half, imagine that this is an outdoorsman. This is somebody whose life revolves around the mountains and the seas, who has traveled broadly like Muir did and has spent time, significant extended periods of time outdoors like Thoreau did. And see how that changes your perspective on this quote. So here is the quote one more time, and consider those two things as I, as I read through it. Quote, Men go back to the mountains as they go back to sailing ships at sea, because in the mountains and on the sea they must face up, as did men of another age to the challenge of nature. Modern man lives in a highly synthetic kind of existence. He specializes in this and that. Rarely does he test all his powers or find himself whole. But in the hills and on the water, the character of a man comes out. End quote. So as I mentioned, one of the interesting pieces about this quote is the recognition of the author that mountains and seas are tests. They are extreme and unforgiving, right? Mountains go as high as they go. Oceans go as deep and as far as they go. And often when we find ourselves in those extremes, the decisions that we make and the capabilities that we bring to the table and the limitations that we find are literally a matter of life and death. It's a pass-fail test. 
If you pass, you live. If you fail, you die. And that sounds extreme, but if you've spent any time in the outdoors, you know that nature is unforgiving. You can trip and fall and hurt yourself and be immobilized, and you can cry out for nature to give you a break, and it won't. You can be out at sea and be swimming and be tired and wish that you could just magic yourself back to land, but you can't. And so it draws on this resourcefulness, and I think there's a very interesting portion of this quote that I want to call your attention to, and it's the line that says, Rarely does he test all his powers or find himself whole. Now, of course, the he portion of this can be discarded. It's, it's not about, this is not a gendered thing. This, is, this applies to all of humanity. But rarely does a person test all their powers or find themselves whole, is another way to read this. And if you think about it, if you're specialized in a certain area, if you are a doctor or you are a mother or you are a baseball coach or some such thing like that, you are specialized in a very specific area. You're very good at that one thing. And that allows the potential for you to be very, very bad at many other things. It has often been said of the most highly specialized people that they know very, very, very little about other fields. If you are a highly trained mathematician, you probably don't know a lot about Renaissance art or literature or even physics, a related but different field. So too, the more specialized we become in our various areas, the less often we are called to bring a variety of skills to the table. This is why people who can be exceptionally good in a particular field and earn a degree, high-level degree, or have spent decades of time working in a specific field to the point where they would be considered experts, can be so very bad at something else. Just because you are a high-level master electrician who makes oodles of money doing your job doesn't mean you can public speak or write poetry worth a lick. But the interesting part of this quote is that it's saying, rarely does a person test all of their powers. Meaning, you don't get to be a specialist when you're out on the ocean or on the top of a mountain. You have to be a generalist and you have to be good at many things because all of those things are going to be put to the test. Your physical strength, your mental stamina, your cardiovascular capabilities, your ability to improvise and react are going to be tested. And nature, as I said, does not care if you are a specialist in a certain area. It will test the whole you, the whole person. And so this quote does a very good job of recognizing that people are rarely tested in that way. Your fine motor skills and your attention to detail may be tested as you drive to work and work your way through surface streets and various traffic patterns and things of that nature. But there are parts of you that are missing there. You may find yourself mentally taxed as you read through a challenging paper or try to discern or pay attention through a presentation. But there are many things that go untested in those. Not so in the extremes of the outdoors. And what the author is saying here, whether that's Collier, Muir, Thoreau, or somebody else, it doesn't much matter, is that we seek that. We desire that. We desire to be tested. I have a very good friend, and I think I've referenced this story before, but I have a very good friend who spent a career in the military. And in that career, 
was never in a combat situation. And this is a person who spent a quarter of a century serving our country. But not once during that time was this individual put into a position where they were tested in combat. And being tested in combat is arguably one of the most extreme situations any person could ever find themselves in. And it is seen by a lot in the military as the ultimate expression of their military prowess. And it bothers this individual that they didn't get to spend that time in actual combat with the enemy. And I can understand that because in much the same way that this quote says that people go to the extremes of the outdoors to be tested as a whole person, so too do members of the military desire to be tested in their capacity as leaders and warriors and warfighters. So it makes a lot of sense. We want to be tested. We want to know that the things that we've invested our time and energy in matter for something. That those skills that we develop through hard-earned labor and, and deliberate practice bear fruit. So as the warfighter seeks combat to test their mettle, so the non-warfighter seeks the extremes of the outdoors, the most extreme environments that one can find themselves in, in order to test themselves as a whole person. And of course, that's admirable. We all need and desire to feel a challenge, to be challenged, to prove that we are doing well, that it's all worth it, that we're, we're on the right track, that the things that we've chosen to invest our time and energy into bear fruit and are useful and are things that we should want to continue to pursue. Because if we're found lacking, then we get redirected. We redirect ourselves. But it doesn't have to be a mountain or the sea. Right? This can be anything, any challenge that is put forth to us. Something that takes us outside of our specialization, tests our general capability, and helps us to arrive at the conclusion that we are either on the right track or that we may be partially on the right track and need to adjust. But again, this doesn't have to be the mountain or the seas. Those are the examples that the the author or the speaker of this quote originally gave as examples because they are easily relatable and understandable to the average person. But what is yours? What is your challenge? What is your mountain or sea? What is your outside your comfort zone test of the whole person that you desire? What is your rite of passage? Right? This is a common theme that gets spoken about is that rites of passage, and you see these across various cultures around the globe, some type of rite of passage, usually for young boys to become men. There is a line in the sand. There is a test. And in some places, it's more barbaric and challenging than in others. But even in our own lives, there's some rite of passage. For some people, it's leaving their parents' house for the first time and going off to school. Or leaving your parents' house for the first time and going into a trade and, and locking down and working your first job. It's a rite of passage when you have arrived there or completed that rite of passage, you have moved on to the next stage in life. That is a test of the whole person. Now, certainly, you're not perfect if you pass that test, but it gives you an idea of where you stand in the world and where you can stand to improve. And I'm here to tell you that if you have not experienced what you think is a rite of passage, that you can create your own. You can seek out your own. Choose to do something that makes you a little bit squeamish. One way to do this is to make a list of all of the things that you'd love to do in your life. And then choose to do something that's not on that list. 
specifically not on that list. It may be a physical feat. It may be a feat of mental strength. But you can create your own rite of passage. And honestly, it's not a single rite of passage. It can be rites of passage. Many. Repeated. And should be. We should continually challenge ourselves. We do that all the time here on this podcast. And this is a great example of that. So whether it is the mountains, the sea, or some other test of your metal, I encourage you to seek that out. Because whether you pass or fail may not be a matter of life and death, but it can be a learning experience. And I think that can be a very valuable exercise for us all to engage in. So take that as your challenge this week as we close. Can you identify where your rite of passage or rites of passage are? And if you haven't had one in some time, perhaps it's time to create one. Until next time, I'm Matthew Monroe. This is Quotations, and thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode and would like to hear more, please subscribe in your favorite podcast app or visit me at quotationspod.com to download and listen. Please also take a moment to recommend the podcast to a friend. That's a huge help. You can tweet at me at quotationspod. Send me an email to quotationspod at gmail.com. Find me on Instagram at quotationspod or join the conversation on Facebook at quotationspod. I look forward to hearing from you, welcome your feedback, and thanks as always for listening.